Guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. The sponsor of today's show is Evest, a digital brokerage firm founded with the vision of bringing trust and credibility to the world of online trading. Evest provides investors with better opportunities in the online trading industry, offering self-trade service with high level of security and secured global licenses. Evest offers 100% reliable stocks with zero commission. last podcast in September and I think at the intro to these weekly podcasts for the next few months I'm just going to be talking about how busy Dubai is, how many events are on and how much is happening in the city, in the region. The World Cup's coming, there's just so much positivity, it's kind of opposite to what's happening in the rest of the world. This week I attended uh, different events, I was at a Snapchat event about uh, new technologies for augmented uh, reality, I was at the that Dubai Metaverse Assembly, an amazing event with world leaders for uh, the Metaverse in Dubai Future Museum. And there's just so much positivity, so much energy, so much things going on. Uh, but uh, today's conversation is more about business fundamentals, more about finance and more about learning finance. So it's a really good conversation. It's a really free flowing conversation. Shireen has a really interesting perspective on business. Uh, so I think even though it's about education and in the finance world, I think actually uh, it works across all industries and I hope you all uh, get some value out of it. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I have the pleasure of being in the company of Shireen Taufik. She's the CEO of Balinka, which has a very specific name and meaning, and she'll explain that. They're a company that's empowering women entrepreneurs by teaching them the fundamentals of financial literacy in order to properly manage their SMEs. Belinka uses gamification and simulation to make the knowledge transfer fun and easily assimilated to those with a non-financial background. Good morning, Shireen. Good morning. Hi, Richard. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. So you haven't done many podcasts, but you know your <laughs> subject matter really well, so it should be a good conversation. I, I love finance. I've been in love with finance and numbers since I was 12. Really? Uh, what's that? I haven't heard anyone saying they love finance. Oh, yeah? you, do you have a, a math mind? Do you like numbers or do you like the sort of commercial side of finance? No, I've always liked numbers and I uh, was always like doing mental math. And my dad was always kind of encouraging me to do mental math. We used to compete. <laughs> okay. So, but then uh, when I was 12, um, see, I'm one of four girls mm. and um, no no brothers. So my dad always wanted to make sure that we all are financially savvy and we all know how to deal with numbers and, and not just numbers, money. Yeah. Uh, so when I was 12, my dad started giving me an allowance every month and uh, he had conditions. Like I had to write everything. So it's basically accounting without telling me that it's accounting. And then I had to save. It doesn't matter how much, but I had to save. And um, and I never, I can never ask him for anything. So I need to manage my budget. Um, and I I cannot tell you how that shaped my life for until now. Uh, and I remember uh, once I bought a, a gold ring, a golden ring, and uh, and I put it as an expense. And he's like, no, no, this is an investment. And I was like, well, what's okay. an investment? And then he said, when things go up in value or like you can sell it for a higher amount, then it's an investment. Otherwise, it's a cost. And then uh, then we started talking about investments, et cetera. And then he got me into like uh, foreign exchange and stock market. And then I started working with him um, uh, when I was 19. And that just 
uh, you know, put me on a different level. What industry was he in? So he was a real estate investor, even though that he was, prof uh, he's a professor. He was a professor, uh, in the, uh by day, but, uh, he, uh, he was investing in real estate. So he would buy land, develop it, and then either sell it or, uh, rent it out and manage it. Okay. Uh, both commercial and residential properties. Okay. We'll go into a little bit more about that, but just firstly explain the company, the name, yes. the meaning and, and what you do. Yeah. So Belinka is short for balance sheet, income statement, cash flow. Um, many people think it's a female, it's a, a girl's name because, uh, I'm a woman and the people who created Balinka are, are women, but no, it's just the short of the three most important financial statements. Yeah. Interesting. And what does it do? Yeah. So we teach finance through games. Now, every entrepreneur, um, makes mistakes, but the problem is that the mistakes that entrepreneurs make are expensive. We try to alleviate that by getting, getting them to play a game and make those mistakes in a fictitious, um, in a fictitious setting. So we save them, um, we save them uh, valuable uh, mistakes. Uh, so we save them from making mistakes. Also, mistakes are the best way to learn. Like, uh, you know, if you never fall, you will never be able to walk. You need to learn how to get up from falling in order for you to be able to walk. And that's the thing. Uh, people don't stress on understanding what entrepreneurs make, uh, like the mistakes that entrepreneurs make, because that's like valuable insights. But people don't share that. They don't talk about it. It's usually uh, the media is always covering the success yeah. and talking about all the success that entrepreneurs make, but they don't shed the light on the mistakes. Mm. So we focus so much on mistakes within companies, within the financial setting. And from that, you also learn financial statements, how to analyze financial health of a business. Like, for example, Richard, if you come to this workshop in one day, I promise you, not only that you will know all the financial statements, you'll be able to look at a financial statement and assess if this company is going to close shop in a couple of years or okay. not. Brilliant. That reminds me of how Warren Buffett assesses companies. He yes. just looks at the, the, the nitty gritty reports, not Thank the, you. not the headlines in the media. Thank you. And that's the thing, the fundamentals, the business fundamentals. That's every entrepreneur, not just entrepreneur. Every professional needs to understand the fundamentals mm. because every business decision has a, a financial impact, mm. but not everybody understands the facts and figures behind their decisions. Mm. Once we understand the impact, then we can make better decisions. The last week on the show, or the week before, we had Nusha from Linkviva next door, and she explained how she's been able to run an events business with losses on different events over 17 years because she understands the basics, yes. the margins around uh, the different ratios around uh, profit and receivables and and Balinka, as it, you described it. Exactly, exactly. It's just the fundamentals. But so... Is it, it does workshops and what else, do you, like, or how do you do the workshops or yeah. how does it work? So we, um, so we mainly, uh, we're mainly B2B. So we go to companies or NGOs who want us to train their entrepreneurs or accelerators, etc. And we offer the workshop to entrepreneurs and professionals. But right now we are at the final stage of our, of our online game. Um, yeah. So we're translating the game into online and uh, we're at the final stage and we're going to launch it by January. Uh, so that will give us a chance to spread it over and like um, to expand globally as well. Um, and, um, uh, and uh, every month or so, like I host a, a, an open workshop either in Saudi or in Dubai, just to kind of allow entrepreneurs who can be sponsored by a company or an accelerator that they want to be on, they want to come on the journey on their own. Uh, but I just don't do it uh, often enough. I just do it like once a month. Yeah. And do you describe yourself as an education training company, Belinka? Is that how it's set up? Yeah, uh, it is primarily educational, and but we use gamification and we use simulations in order for us to um, present the best way of learning. Because, mm. you know, if you hear an infor information, uh, your brain only retain 5%. Mm. Uh, if you read it, you retain 10%. And you can go up and um, uh, up in the, in the uh, information retention if you add like discussion, for example. But then if you get into active learning, active learning is that you're using multiple, multiple parts of your brain and also multiple senses. Mm. So you're moving things, you're using your eye to visualize things. 
that will give you um, a much deeper information and retention. You retain up to 75% of the information. I have people who attended Belinka five years ago, and they still see me, and they still remember me, and they say, they say I still remember you know, yeah. the balance sheet, and I still remember, because, because it's such a powerful tool. Uh, you mentioned five years ago. So when did the company originally start? Uh, an interesting story. So... Um, so I first my my first ex, uh, experience with Belinka was in 2014, where they there were two ladies I got to know again serendipity played a huge part here. Uh, there are two ladies, Belgian ladies, who uh, they developed this game. Uh, I met them because there was someone who a friend of mine who was raving about this course that is like transformed his life. So I, because I've always been interested in finance and, and teaching finance. So I met them and uh, they're in Belgium and they wanted, they were looking for someone to have, manage the region. So I became their agent. And then in uh, COVID, they announced that they wanted to retire and they were inviting just uh, two or three bidders to acquire the company. Luckily, again, serendipity played a huge part because I, uh, I bid for the, for, for the acquisition and I um, acquired it in March 2021. So the company, it wasn't just set up in the region, it was set up elsewhere. Yeah, oh, so they started in 2003. When, but they, when they, when they started uh, Belinka in 2003, but mainly focusing on uh, uh, Europe. And um, they were, they had really good clients, but it's just like they, it, this is a lifestyle business for them. Uh, they, they developed it and they just wanted, they were very happy with the customer that they had. And uh, I came in and I wanted to revolutionize. I want to turn it online. And I, I had some uh, like big ambitions and, um, and then um, COVID came and they decided they wanted to sell. And I was like, oh, this now is you it. Can do it. Now I can do it. So when you came across it first, you had enthusiasm, you had ideas, and you thought about maybe bringing it to the region as a franchise or something like that. You yeah. worked with them on some training programs, yes. but you weren't fully operational. You didn't fully... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was basically like, um, I, I wanted to test it on people. Like I liked it, but then, you know, the, this doubt in your head thinking, oh, maybe I like it, but maybe other people won't. So people I was see like, things differently. Yeah. Exactly. But then I saw day in and day out, every time we do it, uh, people are just amazed. And like, um, if, if you know, there's something called MPS score. MPS score is net promoter score. It's yeah. a, um, it's the, how many of your customers are your ambassadors, brand yeah. ambassadors. This one consistently had more than 90% MPS score. And that is like unheard of in the mm -hmm. training industry. And I've always been like so excited about it, but I wanted to invest and I wanted to kind of like take it globally and I wanted to uh, digitalize it and everything. But uh, they, you know, they, like the vision at the beginning was not, coherent at the like I, I wanted to go all out and they're very conservative but then once we once they told me that they wanted to retire that was like that's it for me like yeah. I'm gonna do everything in my power to acquire this because I know that it has so much potential and without disclosing too much how does an acquisition especially during COVID work like did they put a proposal out and did you basically, uh, did you acquire assets or did you acquire a legal entity and how did that work? Yeah, so the finance part of it, maybe. What yeah. did you learn? <laughs> so, so the good thing is that I was a banker before, and I I have some experience in valuations and how you value a company. Uh, so you have to you have to first run the numbers in order for you to understand what's the range of the valuation. The valuation is never an exact number; it's usually a range. And then, uh, of course, like if you're a good negotiator, you can go in the lower range if you're the buyer, or if like if you're a poor negotiator, they will win, you know. And but then there was um, it was a really interesting uh, exercise for me because I got I was so lucky to find such an amazing lawyer who was helping me also. And uh, we had, and also, and honestly, the previous owners are amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I, we're friends more than anything. Mm -hmm. So it was such a smooth ride. There was no bad feeling. Like there was a time, it was, it was a time when I had my second child. So I actually had to take off like three months because I, I had to deliver my baby and, mm -hmm. and nurse. And, and then we went back again and they were waiting. They were waiting for me to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to come back. Uh, that's that's a testament to how good we have, like how good a relationship we have as uh, like uh, owners, and um, 
um, and then like so, I'm trying to go back to uh, to answer your question the best I uh, best way I can without uh, revealing the 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 deal was very creative. You know, like I I'm, I'm actually very very glad that I, I created this deal because it wasn't like a plain vanilla one, but it got the best. It gave me the best and gave them the best. You mm. know. Um, uh, yeah, like I, I don't want to reveal too much of the. Yeah, deal. but basically, so basically, you structured something unique that had the buyer and seller's interest at heart. But you end up uh, acquiring this, and you can run it. And but do, you know, speaking about something like this, is this an IP? Is this a game that's ah, developed? Did they register yes. it in Europe? Is it now a Middle Eastern right. company? Yes, yes. Okay, that. Thank you. So first, um, what we did was we acquired the IP um, and the trademark. So we are registered in all of Europe as a trademark. We're also registered here as a trademark. And we acquired the IP and we moved the IP to the Dubai-based uh, company. Um, because it's a Belgian company, uh, Belgian laws are very difficult, and, and especially with taxation. And also, we don't have that much, there those many clients in Belgium. So I closed the company in Belgium and uh, we just moved every all the assets into the onto the, the Dubai uh, company. And... Um, yeah, and then like mainly that's the that's the main thing. Like the, we are registered right now. The we are in the process of registering the trademark in uh, the U.S., Latin America, and Asia. Amazing. So so we'll be like completely global, especially with online coming on board. And the so the female women entrepreneurs, the B two B, are you? It's not necessarily startups. You're targeting sort of SME females. So is are you? Is it just exclusively? Does the game only work for female, oh, or is no. that the okay? Um, so the the reason why I talk about females because we see it especially in this region, women doubt themselves more than men, and I think there are two ways. There is this DNA, um, you know, like uh, doubting themselves and imposter syndrome is more uh, visible amongst women than men. Mm. And also there is another thing. Um, women, again, not now, I'm talking about women in the Middle East for the past 20, 30, 40 years. Um, we are, um, we're usually in pockets of women only uh, discussions. So we talk a lot about um not necessarily like we don't talk as about business as much, mm. you know, but then men on the other side, they talk about business all the time, right? From an early age. So they get that secondhand intelligence. Yeah. They are better positioned because they are in the field from an early age. They are learning by, by listening and, and learning secondhand of what's happening uh, around in the business world. You think in in a, in a, in a Arab society, particularly, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially. So, I, I obviously I come from Saudi Arabia. I um, uh, and I'm like I see that shift. That you know, like literally, it's, a, it's like as if I was in a different country than now. Saudi has transformed. Mm. Like now, um, women talking uh, are talking about business just as much as men. Women and men are mingling. There but is growing up, that was never the case. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> it was like um, I remember. When I was in university, that was like, uh, what, 25, 26 years ago. And uh, I was, um, um, I told them after a graduation, I wanted to work. And everybody was looking at me like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, you want to be a teacher? I'm like, no. I don't what did you me. study? I studied English literature. In with, Saudi? In Saudi. Uh, I, I really wanted to study abroad. Uh, for me, watching TV, and I used to watch, I'm not proud of this, but I used to watch The Bold and the Beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like soap opera. And I, I remember just looking at it and I was thinking, like the U.S., even though we used to visit, but it's like the U.S. and the U.K. is like planets away. Or like, you know, how how do women work? And, and there is like... Um, you know, opportunities and stuff like that. And I was thinking, you know, is it like, um, how do I get there? And, um, and I really wanted to study abroad. So I was trying to, I was trying to focus, uh, to push my dad to let me go and study abroad. But it was, I know, like, um, an unmarried woman who's 18 years old can, like, it's, a, it, it's unheard of that you send an unmarried 18 year old girl to study abroad by herself. That's like, Nothing, not, it's mm. not happening. I tried, I went on a, a, a hunger strike, but that didn't work. Like both my parents looked at me and they're like, oh, 
you know, you'll, you'll break in a couple of days. And I did. <laughs> so I, um, uh, because I went to Arabic school, so I, my English was really bad. I uh, learned English on my own when I was 16. And I thought uh, I knew, like in, innately, I knew that I needed to speak English and I needed to learn computers. And I didn't, I didn't have access to either one. Uh, so I thought I'm going to study English and I'm going to practice. I'm going to buy a computer. I'm going to just practice computer. And uh, my dad didn't understand what I was doing because he thought I would be a doctor or something. Uh, there is more uh, um, secure. He's a bit risk averse. So he he thought if I was a doctor, then at least I can secure a job being a doctor. But then English literature, like what are you going to How are you going to use it? But then I was lucky enough that these were the two skills that I needed to land my first job. And um, yeah, and the rest is history. But your dad, you know, although it was against the norms of the time to study abroad, he still let you to work and not everyone would have worked out of university. So you were working from a young age. Yeah. So he, he was, um, he always had this um, belief that even if he builds so much wealth for us, we can blow it up and we can just spend it and not be mindful about wealth. So he wanted to make sure that we understood, we had work ethics. Mm. And um, especially, I'm the youngest, so as the, uh, as my sisters got married and stuff, he realized, oh, he's getting older, who's going who's gonna to carry on the business, who's going to carry on the family wealth, etc., so he got me in at an early age. So he was like using me as a secretary at the beginning and then slowly, slowly getting me to read contracts and meeting lawyers and just like kind of embedding me, just like what I what I was talking about with men being in the arena and understanding because you pick up so much when you're in a meeting and there is business being being discussed. So law, you know, like legal documents. And I, I used to wear a hard hat and go to... Um, to, to construction sites and sites, constru- yeah. construction sites and stuff. And, um, and it was, it, he was always giving me so much support that even if a contractor was like belittling me, he would look at me so I can answer him. So yeah. he wouldn't answer on my behalf yeah. because he wanted me to have that, that guts, that, like to, to have guts to speak up for myself. Mm. Um, and, and I can't thank him enough for this. And I like, I hope that uh, every parent would instill that work ethics in their kids. Yeah, it sounds like he not only co- uh, coached and taught you finance, but also that uh, sort of encouraged you enough to believe in yourself, that glass ceiling thing that you could do it. Life skills. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I've always, I've always suffered from imposter syndrome. Mm. I've always thought I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And he, I think he knew it, but he never... He never, we don't, we never talked about it openly, but mm. he was doing everything in his power to get me to believe in myself. Mm. So one thing is studying and then another thing is working. And then now you're an entrepreneur. Were you an entrepreneur before? Because that's a, that's an extra scary jump, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> and again, I, I always, I always go back to my dad. So I, I, I started working in the bank and that was not easy because I was the first Saudi woman to work in the bank and we were having, I was having um, a lot of social uh, struggles because um, the the extended family was not very happy about that. I was the first woman to work with men from both families, from my mom and my dad's family. So that was like bringing shame to both families. And that was uh, a stress not only on me, but also on my parents. Mm. And I remember my mom was taking a lot of, uh, was shielding me from many insults and and attacks and many people who didn't want to speak to us because I was bringing shame to the family. Um, You know that in the Eastern Eastern world, uh, it's uh, people are triggered by shame Mm. and in the Western world is guilt. Mm. So shame is a big deal and uh, honor is a big deal. So that was the most difficult thing that I went through. Um, Actually studying finance professionally as a banker was a walk in the park compared to the the blows that you get socially, um, but then in like it, it got better and better, especially like 
with uh, King Abdullah came in and then later and then now like now there is no difference between men and women I, mean, mm. I, I wish I could write a book because mm. what I have seen 20 years ago is, is like as if you're in a different country it's fascinating isn't it you know we saw statistics this week about the unemployment rate for females is the lowest of all time yes um, in Saudi particularly and you know, the workplace, not only the segregation in cafes and restaurants, it's just normal now for Saudi females to work anywhere. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, when I started working in the bank and uh, I was trying to promote um, women to come in on work, uh, my managers would always say, oh, but a woman can come in and then she will get married and we will never see her again. And we're investing in like training and, and developing women and stuff. And I was looking at them and I said, in the last three years, I, w- I was always there. I was only there for three years. And I said, in the last three years, how many men changed job- jobs? And I am here standing and I'm mm. not going anywhere. Mm. Um, and I was, it was an up, uphill uh, battle to convince management to hire more women. And, um, and then there was, uh, there was also, because women actually are very loyal and, um, they, because they, they want to, they want to, uh, to prove themselves and they want to have a good environment and just like thrive. Uh, and then in 2005, I remember there was a huge turning point for my, my life, actually, my, my career. Um, I discovered that I was earning 50% of what, uh, what my male peers were earning and I was better than them. I was teaching them. I was, I know I was better than them. Uh Oh, <laughs> so I went to my manager and, uh, the first instant was, this is reality, you know, like, uh, you just accept it. And I said, no, I can't because it's so just, he didn't lie about it. He said, "This it's true, what you found out is true, uh, but this is the way it is. You're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. The, so he's one of the, he's one of the managers who shaped also my, my life and my career uh, because he was like very upfront about things, but he also never took no for an answer. He fought for me. Mm. So he convinced upper management in the bank to give me an equal pay and I got in overnight, like a 55% adjustment, which Mm. is unheard of. But then I turned to him and I said, okay, now you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and tell all the girls in the bank (laughs) that I got that. And he's like, oh, please, please just give me six months. (laughs) But in six months, they actually adjusted all of the girls' salaries to to be equal to men. That's a great story. And that's kind of, you know, before the recent change. But so uh, changes and the the sort of more females at work. But what, what, you know, someone like like you and what we found with our business in, in Riyadh is that the females are ready to work because the universities they're 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 educated so yes. it's not that they don't need to be educated it's just that they need it's that the society wasn't ready and that the jobs weren't necessarily there but now that that's happening um, have you found that that yes they're educated but what about their financial acumen is that there or is that a wider problem so I, it, it boils down, in my opinion, it boils down to their exposure. Um, again, as I said, men are in a better position because they're exposed in the arena and women need to take themselves out and get exposure. Um, they actually, women in Saudi Arabia um, are more educated than men. There is this, the statistics show that there are more university graduates, yeah. uh, more female university graduates than men. Mm. And uh, when you see when in a, in a given workshop, I always see women, they're like want to eat the book because they're so curious and they, they want to improve themselves. Um, while it's like, a, you know, while, while men, I feel like sometimes they kind of, um, taking, you know, taking it easy because, oh, I know all of that. I know all of that. Right. Um, uh, so I, I feel the main, the main issue that's stopping women from, uh, getting more funding, from getting, um, uh, better career or like, you know, especially with entrepreneurs is primarily the doubt in themselves and the exposure. So they need to stop the imposter syndrome, stop that voice that you're, you don't know. And the other one is being curious and, and, and learning and, and making more mistakes. Mm. And so you can build that backbone and then you can build on your mistakes and, and learn uh, and, um, and be better. Mm. Um, in terms of funding, so you know that um, uh, last, last month, uh, uh, I think there was a total of $370 million fu- uh, funding for uh, startups, but only 1% went to, uh, went mm. to women. 
Um, it sounds unfair by by all measures. However, also the number of women who are getting into entrepreneurship uh, is smaller than men. So this is one. Uh, women sometimes think that um, uh, the ceiling is lower, so they don't have a bullish way of like dominating the world. Mm. Men have that; and it's innate. Uh, so I think my 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 advice to women is that if you think you want to achieve a million, multiply that by a hundred and just push yourself think bigger. to yeah to achieve more than you thought you can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but with uh, with Belinka, so balance sheet, income statement, P and L, cash flow. These sound like fundamentals of running a business, like a CEO. Where these are important things, like whether it's um, like in the US, they say mom and pop store. But, you know, if it's bricks and mortar, if it's a restaurant, if it's a media business, if it's a startup, you need to know these fundamentals. But that's not necessarily that doesn't really impact someone with a job per se, or does it? It does, because if, uh, so in multiple multiple ways, if you are, let's say, in marketing, you need to set budgets for how much marketing expenditure you're, you're putting. And you need to understand what is that going to affect your, how is that going to affect your business? But then you need to not only look at the P&L, that I'm going to invest this and I'm expecting Y, I'm going to invest X X, and I'm going to expect Y. You also need to see the business as a whole to see your part in the bigger picture. So it's um, it's it makes your decisions more savvy mm. uh, rather than we need to spend 300000 in you know social media. Who set that 300,000? How did you come up with this number? And how how is this 300,000 going to benefit the business as okay. a whole? Uh, you need to have that understanding, that bird's eye view. And then the second thing, which I see it day in and day out, men, uh, not necessarily men, people, professionals who get promoted and promoted and promoted to a, a senior level. They start from, for example, shopkeepers, and they worked really hard, and they go into managers. Then suddenly, overnight, men, or not necessarily men, men or women, are expected to answer to the board or to answer to the CFO or to be in charge of numbers. The funny thing is that management look at them, thing like, you don't know? You don't know a P&L? No, they were never, they no, never they, had the yeah. chance. So there is the, then what happens? The, the company sends them to finance for non-finance, yeah? And usually it's like a three to five days course. And the way finance is taught, unfortunately, is very backwards. The people go in, they don't understand, and they are shy to, un- to ask questions. They come back exactly the same. And they don't know how to apply what they learned on the day, daily job. These are the most the, the people that we get uh, calls from the most because they it's overnight I have to understand all of that and I have to answer to uh, finance uh, to the CFO for example. Yeah, fascinating. But but this you, you know I'd love to try out your game one day. But you make it sound simple and you know workshoppy and and great. But actually these things might maybe simple, but they're technical enough. Like I remember studying accounting and finding like balancing a balance sheet isn't simple, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Richard, you must come. You must go. No, but, but look, uh, we we do balance sheets here. Am I? CFO does it with me and I look at the P&L every month and I, and I had my, when I was in um, an agency here, I had an SBU, I had a business unit. So I'm, you know, I was an entrepreneur, right? And I made all these decisions and I, the thing that you described there, I was ready. I was pushing to be, actually became an MD of a startup before here. So I was ready for all those things because I pushed internally to do it. Maybe we're, you know, we're talking about maybe females wouldn't, but I did do that. But even still, now, I still, every month when we sit down the balance sheet, I still, I know there's something I don't know. Mm. And there's always something new. There's intangible assets or there's understanding of why a shareholder's equity there and what does it mean and wh- what does it do? And then what if we moved it to this entity and all this sorts of stuff? Yeah. That's not simple. I read lots of books. I listen to lots of things. And you have not done Belinka Okay, yet. I haven't done Belinka. <laughs> so... This is this is why I'm so excited about this because there isn't any any we don't have any competition in the okay. market, 
And um, let me give you just a taster, okay? Imagine that we have, I wish, I wish I had my tools, <laughs> my props. So let's say, imagine that you have a company yeah. and you invested, you put 20 million in this company. And then somebody asked you to produce, let's say, a car. You're in the sh- business of making cars. And then you got the raw, raw material and you got, you made the, the car and you wanted to sell it to the, to your clients. Uh, so you started your business with 20 million and it cost you 6 million to make these cars. And then you went to sold it to you sold it to the client, and the client said, "I'm going to pay you after a quarter." So then um, your business started with twenty million. You gave the cars to the client, and then now you have fourteen million. Correct? Where? Where's like, the money? If, where's the money? So I in a workshop setting, of course, like this is this is so weird because I'm doing it uh, based on memory. But um, in, in a workshop setting, I try to push people to, un- to understand that every single moment has to show an accurate uh, figure, an accurate picture of the company. So in the moment of them delivering the cars to the client, the client promised, they gave them something like an invoice, you know, so th- the client promised to pay them 12 million, for example, for a these booking cars. order, a purchase order, yeah, a, a purchase order. So that purchase order has a value and we have to simulate it, we have to uh, reflect it on the game. And where do you put that? So then after a while, they discovered that you have to put it in accounts receivable. And that is accounts receivable. Accounts Mm. receivable is unpaid invoices. Because in every second of a company, you need to um, have an accurate picture of that company. Mm. So once you understand that accounts receivable are unpaid invoices, then you will never forget it. But of course, like if you have the process, it makes more sense because you'll move things around and you'll see things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that... uh, That's good. It's good. You've... um, convinced me that it's needed for me again and for the the team um but but uh so so you 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 can work with anyone you can work with startups you can work with uh people who actually make these decisions and you can work with people who don't make these decisions i have a story for that uh when i launched so i launched in october so i basically relaunched yeah so belinka was um a bit small in belgium you know not not globalized and then when I acquired it, I rebranded it and I started the online. And then in October, I decided uh, the website was live. So I launched and I made a, a big deal on uh, social media. And then a friend of mine uh, contacted me and he said, you might be the answer to my prayers. And I said, what's up? And he's like, I have been trying to study finance. I am I'm, I come from a non-finance background. I'm a COO of this company and I am terrified of numbers because I, I'm, uh, I have to answer to the board and... Uh, I am promised a CEO position, but I, I, do, I don't know much. And I, I hired a finance tutor. I went for finance for non-finance and they didn't work. Um, and I said, just come. So he came literally two days later and uh, he, uh, he attended the, the session. And the, throughout the whole, the whole game, he was like, is it this simple? Are you sure? Are you tricking me? He he was thinking that I'm making it too simple. And I said, no, this is a real, this is real. Like he got to know what EBITDA is, why we use EBITDA. He got to know what is ROE, ROA, all of these things, all of that, the, the, the lingo. And, uh, and he was the whole time, he was like, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. And he was my first client. His company was my first client. Really mm-hmm. amazing. But it sounds like, it's funny, it sounds like he tried a lot, so he had the right attitude for it. How do you how do you get people to try it or who, you know, aren't sort of willing, right? So say you have uh, people in the company who are very good technical people mm-hmm. and they don't ever want to be CEO and they don't ever get what you said there is important. They're never managing budgets, but how can they understand? Because an easy way to tell them is that, well, if you manage your own personal economy, if you manage your own finances, Mm -hmm. but how do you do that in a sort of professional capacity? So I I love this question. Thank you so much for asking this because every, every person in any company has a financial impact on that company. For example, I was working with a tech company and they have a ton of developers and uh, these developers, of course, they want to do the best in, in, in their minds to, to make the best product. And they were pushing time, you know, so like they were supposed to deliver, let's say, in six months, but then suddenly it becomes eight, nine, ten months. Of course, because, you know, the things happen. 
And then the, the, that, that company came to me and said, uh, we want time management. We want to teach uh, the developers time management. And then when I, I would like, I did my research and stuff and I was talking to some of them and I said, they don't need time management. They need to understand that time is money. So when I, I did like a very simple calculation, now they, they, they don't know what IRR is, internal rate of return. So I just did a, a, a shocker, you know. So I was uh, I was talking to them about, about IRR, IRR internal rate of return. If two companies doing exactly the same thing, one company launched in ten months and the other company launched in twenty months, the company that launched in ten months have five thousand IRR higher than the company that launched in twenty months because they, especially when it comes to investments and especially when it comes to tech. They depend on VC money. A VC uh, VC um, fund manager would look at IRR. If the developers understand what IRR is, they will work much faster and they will just get the project done quicker. Love this. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's so relevant. You know, even with our company as well. Like we have one of our values is velocity, and that's what it, it creates momentum because you get more output. But it's it's so. I remember doing a slide once uh, saying to people that you know if we I remember maybe we had ten employees. And the cost of running the business that day, it wasn't a burn rate company, it wasn't a VC company or whatever, but the cost is fixed no matter what. So uh, if you push something, and, and we, everyone loves using the word push the meeting, push right. it the deadline. If you push something to the next day, you, you know, if you did it that day, it's not about getting people to stay later, but if you actually are more productive that day, if you do 10 emails from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. that night, yep. then the next day you've created momentum. So you've actually, for the same fixed cost the day before, you've actually kicked the football down the road further. So you've got more work done yeah. and then you've increased, increased the output seeing if the market will place a commercial value on that. So if you apply that rule every day, you know, and then if it compounds, if there's more and more people, then you can achieve a lot more. I totally agree. Yeah. I couldn't have put it better. I need Belinka <laughs> to train our team, do a better job than me. <laughs> Amazing. So um, you revamped the company. So yes. the initial investment to acquire it, it needed extra investment to oh, relaunch yeah. it. And now investment again to do the digital side. Yeah. Are you making money? So right now, so we are very close to breaking even. Mm. Uh, we are, I would say, um, we're estimate. To, hopefully, we're going to break even by uh, April next year. Yeah, and um, uh, and that's great. That's because, great. Yeah, because it's a the way I structured the company. I am I'm, I'm more of a fundamentals uh, person. I like business fundamentals and I like cash flow. Um, uh, there is there are two things that you need to know any for any entrepreneurs you know about growth and profitability. You can push for growth, especially like tech companies. They want to push for growth because they want to show that many users are using this product, this platform, etc. Just to prove that there is product market fit. But the profitability comes secondary. Like we saw this in WeWork, for example. For every dollar that they were making in revenue, they were spending one point two dollars. Um, just to kind of prove that um, we want to dominate the market, we want to build the brand, etc. I personally, I'm more of a risk-averse person, so I like profitability and I like fundamentals because uh, if I decide to sell it, then I want to have someone who appreciates profitability and sturdy uh, company that grows uh, growth steadily, but less risk you're taking less risk mm. um it's just a it's a personality thing because if you're risk averse i i highly recommend that you focus on profitability and making sure that you're having cash flow and i don't need to rush and get funding because i uh, um, i have big plans for this company but how do you describe it so big plans and and tech and and international ip and things like that how do you rationalize I hear the sort of risk averse and and opposite to that, but you know, ed tech is a big space. It can mm -hmm. get VC money. You can, but you need burn rates. You need to you need to spend and lose money and be prepared to do that for years. That is true. That's very true. And ed tech is actually one of the most difficult places, difficult industries, because you have two two problems in with ed tech. 
there's a content and then there is the ingenuity of the design. So you have the content that if you put content, someone else can come and watch all of your videos and pr and produce almost exactly the same, just tweak a few words and the IP collapses. Like you, you lose the IP because the content can be copied. And then the other one is the ingenuity of design. And like, for example, we... We started the design. We, this is the second iteration. Well, I didn't go to market with our first iteration. We um, we designed the first game, and I thought, okay, great. I am ready. I'm going to dominate the market tomorrow. We tested it on a few people. Didn't really. It, they were confused. It was not the same because I'm used to this aha moment in the training room. I'm used to people like buzzing. And then when we did it online, they were it, it flopped. And I was shocked and I was so depressed. And then I had to kind of like gather uh, the right team and the, the right, uh, like the mindset. And, and, and now we were doing it differently. So EdTech is not easy. You know, it's like if you're just putting videos on online, like like any other, any like, uh, you know, Udemy or Udacity, all of these, these people, they're just putting content online. Mm. That content, if you don't have the strong brand to support it, can be copied. Mm. And still nobody knows Belinka as much. So if I'm just putting content online, somebody else can use the my... Um, Way of explaining something, my, yeah. Exactly, and copy it. And it's, I'm vulnerable to that. Um, and that's why I decided... I'm going to go slowly but steadily. Uh, there is a, a very nice analogy. Uh, there is a book that I wrote uh, that I read called um, uh, "Shortcut Your Startup." Can't remember by whom, but it like really, really good book. I, I try. I, I read a lot, so I, I can't remember the authors, but I remember the books. Um, it's it, it was telling that the entrepreneur needs to decide: Are you a sailboat or your speedboat? They're both boats, but each one has a different characteristics. Sailboat will go slower, but it's steady, and the wind can take you to can take you faster or slower. And it's, the chances of you uh, like losing the boat is, is is small. While the speedboat, you need a lot of power at the beginning. That's what I mean by VC money. You need a huge VC money to kind of push you and get you fast. But also the fact the the risk of you flipping or, you know, like losing the boat is higher. Mm. So who are you as a person, as an entrepreneur at the beginning? Are you a sailboat or a, a sailboat or a speedboat? Mm. You have to make that decision. And when I, when I looked at it, in it I was, I was, in, I was um, intrigued and I was, I won, I was toying with the idea of getting VC money. But actually, no, I want to test it. I want to uh, shrink my investment to like really the bare minimum, test it, make sure that it's working, the game is working, people are liking it, and then build it from it. And then possibly I may, I may get investment later. You can look later. at your options, yeah, when it works. But I think that I think what you're doing is right. You know, just because you're adding digital doesn't mean VC. Like, you know, the reality of doing a workshop in a real world can be online without huge investment. If you do things in a smart way, and you can, you can have, it's, you know, do you want to build an e-commerce marketplace mm. to challenge Amazon or do you want a store that, that is able to sell things online? Mm. You know, you, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to raise millions of dollars to sell what you're selling in a store on the internet. You can just set up a Shopify or whatever. You know, you can, the, the tools are there online to enable anyone to have an online presence. You know, we now have a lot more, uh, ability in this region to do things like payment gateways and many mm -hmm. things. So it, it's a lot better. And did you think of it that way in terms of the commercial model of the online presence or is there a SaaS model and, and how, how did you look at that? Yeah. So I learned a ton in the last year alone because initially I wanted to build everything from scratch. Of course, I was like, we're doing something that hasn't been done before. But then because I started, I started uh, meeting so many more people in the industry, I discovered that there's so many tools that you can use. Uh, you don't need to build from scratch. You can use a ready-made tool mm. and you can just adjust it to fit your needs. And then that will drive your cost down just to prove the concept. Then you can do your own later. But at the beginning, use whatever, the, whatever SaaS models, whatever ready-made codes that you can copy online and you, just to prove the concept at the beginning. Yeah. Okay, Shireen, we're coming to the end. That's flown by. But tell me a little bit more about what's next. What do you have in, in store for, 
Belenka and yeah. Yeah, so uh, interesting uh, projects that we uh, were signing. Uh, so one very interesting project is uh, we are partnering with a committee in the gov- Saudi uh, with the Saudi government. There is a committee that focuses on the well-being of prisoners and prisoners who are recently released. Amazing. To get them into entrepreneurship and uh, we are hopefully leading that program and yeah. uh, hopefully once we prove the concept we might scale it to other governments as well so that's like super like for me that's um that's something that really resonates with me because especially when you get when when the world throws you a curveball uh but then somebody else gives you like a tool to kind of like work around it mm. then i feel like uh, that's one of our biggest uh excitements yeah um other things like uh of course uh we're we're continuing to deliver the training and and partner with ngos um and uh, partner with accelerators and hopefully hopefully inshallah in uh january we're going to launch the game uh yeah. and uh yeah we'll watch out for it yeah amazing and obviously it's available in arabic as well or it will be in saudi yeah yeah, yeah so everything is in arabic as well and mm. uh, that's a huge market because we we got calls from iraq for example and jordan and uh it's uh it's the need is unbelievable unbelievable yeah and a hugely exciting time for this emerging market as well and you know you've been in the region a long time do you see this as an emerging market that will emerge are you sort of optimistic about the future very much so because with everything that is going on in europe and the us uh so there is recession in the us that is like uh holding all funding back from entrepreneurs here is the opposite we're thriving uh, uh the whole of the region like i have very big plans i think there's so many things that are very optimistic in the region not only in saudi but also the region as a as a whole mm. um not so much like you know like you remember 10 years ago if things were gloomy and also uh, the um, the vc uh, ecosystem or the entrepreneurship ecosystem what was at an infancy stage but in such a short 10 years time it transformed that True. i think I think this is our Silicon Valley. Like this is going to be the world's Silicon Valley. Yeah, amazing. Brilliant note to finish on. Well, thanks so much. Thank thanks you. so much for the interview. Uh, yeah. Great to hear about Belinka oh, and we'll follow so in future. I can't wait for you to come and try it. I'm definitely going to. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love to learn more. Thanks All a right. lot, Shireen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Shireen, uh, for that. That was a great interview. Uh, looking forward to testing out and trying the game and see if I can learn some more. And yeah, please uh, do check them out as well on their website and social handles. Thank you to Shahir and Ali for producing the show. Thank you all for listening. Uh, please do subscribe or follow on uh, Apple or Angami or uh, Spotify if you're listening to the podcast. And if you'd like to watch the interview in full or any other of our smashy shows, there's Smashy Tech Bill Arabi with Hala Bassam. There's also uh, the gaming shows, the Moomin Kessa social media, um, our Smashy Crypto show. Uh, we have Smashy Sports. So we're streaming live sports in the UAE with the futsal leagues, the volleyball leagues, uh, the handball leagues, all on smashy.tv or on the iOS or Android apps or on smart TVs as well. Uh, it's free for a month check it out see if you like it give us some feedback and you can watch any of the 180 or so Dubai Works podcasts there as well 